TalkMatech is a show I started because I wanted to present what drives individuals in the technology field and showcase it to others. After 20 years on technology, I've witnessed the ever-changing landscape of technology and the pressure that comes with it. I've also seen that while technology is always changing and evolve, there are pressures that push against the change. It takes an amazing talent pool of people to keep moving technology forward, and I wanted a forum to showcase the individuals, so I created Talking Tech, a show where I interview people in the field of technology and discuss what inspired our guests to enter the field, what's kept them in it, and what they are looking forward to in the future. Like most shows, this one wouldn't be possible without a sponsor. I'm really fortunate to have an amazing sponsor by the name of Freedom Tech. Freedom Tech is an IT solutions provider based in Johnson, Rhode Island, that serves the Northeast and has been in business since 2001. The mission is to comprehensively handle all IT needs to alleviate the stress of technology. Freedom Tech understands that organizations like yours depend on fast, reliable, and secure access to an ever-changing and ever-increasing amount of data to effectively serve the public. They also recognize that proactive, streamlined IT support and ironclad cybersecurity protection are essential. Organizations like yours need cost-effective ways to leverage these services. Freedom Tech helps keep technologies operational and secure, execute key IT projects and initiatives, and map out long-term technology plans. To learn more, visit www.ftsupport.com. Now to the show. So thank you for joining us on SM Talking Tech. Our guest on today's show is Ed Zayetz. Ed, thank you for being on the show. We really appreciate you having me. Thank, thank you very much, God. Appreciate being on. So why don't you tell us a little about yourself and uh, what you actually do? So right now I do vendor risk management uh, for my company. Uh, I assess vendors on their information security and business continuity controls. Uh, also focus on uh, cloud computing security, uh, data privacy, uh, risk management compliance and, and auditing of vendor management space as a part of my uh, daily work responsibilities. Well, that's fantastic. How did you get started in IT? I started in IT about 22 years ago, but I think it really started uh, when I was doing engineering at Penn State. Um, I, I found that I just gravitated towards the computer labs and, and basically was hanging out in there more than I was really hanging out in my engineering classes. <laughs> it, it just was a natural affinity. I, you know, and this was back in the early 90s. So computers were just starting to come around and, you know, so basically I'd be in the labs, you know, wanting to know how they worked, you know, basically building my own computers, overclocking processors, you know, trying different RAM, you know, just seeing how to get bigger, better, faster. But there really wasn't those programs that now students have uh, the different IT, you know, type of courses and, and degrees that colleges provide. Back, back when I was in school, you either were doing coding, CIS, uh, coding, or you were doing engineering as, as those disciplines. It's nice to see that students now have that breadth and depth of IT-focused or information security-focused curriculum to get their degree in, where that really wasn't afforded to me. But again, I naturally gravitated towards computers, and that's really kind of where I caught the bug. And then from there, you know, my first job out of college was more in a technical support role. But, you know, once I got certified um, as an MCSE, I ended up jumping into IT audit in the healthcare arena, which I spent about 15 years. And that's really where, you know, 
kind of the passion, the love, and also the stress and the pain and things of that nature of moving up through the ranks uh, kind of came to, to pass. It's interesting you say that because I remember going into college and never even knew the industry existed. We all had our Commodores and our Atari systems and the <laughs> 8088s, but what's IT? What is there? There's no career unless you want to go into programming. So it's, it's great you mentioned that. So over the years, what's as we talked a little bit in the pre-show, there's such burnout in it. What's kept you in the technology field and is driving you to stay? I think it's just a natural love of learning, um, curiosity. You know, I've never really gotten rid of the bug. I have my own home lab, anything, you know, a lot of times, you know, I just picked up things that I didn't know. I wasn't waiting for somebody to provide me training or things of that nature. I would read, you know, join uh, groups of people, you know, on mailing lists in case there was IT problems. That was a lot of my learning just from different people. Or I'd be reading a lot of the knowledge base articles and, and the technologies that I was working with and trying things out just to make sure that they work correctly. Um, it kind of is still the curiosity, okay, what more don't I know that I should have the tool in my tool belt that keeps me a lifelong learner? And I think that's one of the key things for those who want to go into information technology or information security is that lifelong, you know, thirst for knowledge. Just I want to learn things that I don't know and I'm not afraid to put myself out there and fail. If I fail, great. I learned something from trying. So that, that's really what kind of drives me 20 plus odd years later is it's just that it's that simple. Uh, I share similar. I remember when we had the computers, and, the, and unlike today, where you have the internet and cloud gaming and everything else, we, we had standalone computers. So the only way you could game with someone else is you ran that cable across the way and figured out how to make it work. And <laughs> I, I got to say, the generation now has no idea, and you just 100% agree, had to learn and delve into it. And otherwise, you had nothing to game except yeah. for a standard computer. Um, what do you consider to be the biggest challenge when bridging the technology gap between the business within most companies? Well, I think technology is changing so much. Um, I see this a lot in the cloud space where businesses are looking at for it cheaper, faster, better, and they feel that that cloud might be their silver bullet. I've, um, I've seen this way too many times in, in you know, organizations and how they uh, approach that. Uh, there is that shared responsibility model between uh, your organization and the cloud service provider. So just basically passing it over the fence and saying, okay, cloud service provider is doing everything for us right now is kind of that fallacy that a lot of companies still find themselves uh, getting into. Or it breeds that shadow IT that we talk about in the industry. Well, I didn't know you were utilizing that service. So what are you putting in there? Oh, you're putting that in there. That basically will give your CISO more gray hairs or lose all their hair or his or her hair um, than you can possibly imagine just because, you know, how is it protected? We see the breaches uh, just because people don't, you know, uh, basically secure their cloud assets or they leave uh, S3 buckets open, not, not to slam AWS. It's more of an internal configuration aspects but things of that nature it's just you know we really got to risk manage what we're doing and it doesn't matter whether the technology is internal and in our inside our own data centers or out in the cloud it's still really about 
managing your risks accordingly. So you're centered right in that risk and cybersecurity sector. What is your biggest fear that you see out there? I think uh, it's been a long time coming, uh, but data privacy, um, keeping data private is really a part of that confidentiality tenant that we talk about in information security, but it's really getting a lot of headway now with uh, CCPA, GDPR, and some of the other privacy regulations. So I think that's the next frontier for uh, we're not just not ready for the privacy movement. We're seeing a lot of fines and things of that nature coming from CCPA. Um, I think that's going to be more to come where people are and companies are tackling, okay, you know, how do we give opt in, opt out, you know, right to be forgotten, all, all these other privacy mandates they didn't have to think about before. Now they really have to kind of embed it in their controls. And it's catching a lot of companies behind the eight ball. Where do we put these controls in? How do we look at it? how much is enough there, there's a lot of questions but not always a lot of answers out there so it's it's again trial and error but i think data privacy is is the next frontier that we're all going to go through great um looking at the last 10 years in technology what do you think was the biggest disruptor in changing the tech realm yeah cloud was but i i would also uh say that iot is is a big disruptor um a lot of companies brought their products to market and had a lot of IoT in it, but they didn't really do a really good job of securing it. And then we find out, you know, there's different botnets taking over these IoT-based devices and attacking other devices. So I'd say cloud and IoT in my eyes were, were the two dis big disruptors that I see. But I also feel that the increase in regulations um, specifically GDPR, CCPA, and, and state data breach laws uh, also are adding to the pressure uh, of all companies to really, you know, step up their game in the information security realm. So for those not familiar with the term, why don't you describe what IoT is? Uh, IoT means the Internet of Things. Therefore, uh, a lot of these devices you may um, not even know. So something like Zigbee in your home uh, security system is an IoT-based device. Um, they have IoT-based devices in windmill turbines that you know do green energy. They're all over the place. Um, good resource if you wanted to is IoTintelligence.com, I believe, is one of the uh, sites that is solely dedicated to uh, IoT uh, risk compliance controls, things of that nature. Also, Cloud Security Alliance is also put out IoT documentation on looking at those type of risks. So again, I would probably check those things out um, just to get up to speed on what is IoT, what is an IoT, and what you should be looking at when trying to secure these type of devices. Great explanation. What areas of technology do you see coming down the line in the next five years that you think will change the technology realm again? Uh, honestly, I think, um, and this was just some of the stuff from going to Black Hat and DEF CON over the last few years. Um, right now, it is embedded technologies in cars, airplanes. Um, it's more that I think is really going to drive the next five years. Um, it just seems to be more and more and more every single year that I go that, you know, we're seeing more of these devices, more competitions to hack these devices, more learning, 
could be brought back to the manufacturers of these devices that end up fixing the security issues and, and making, you know, if we're going to put technology in things that, you know, we drive around in or we utilize in our everyday life, it should be secure. So I, I, I see in the next five years a lot of that. I also see industrial control systems getting a lot of attention. So uh, our SCADA systems, the electrical grid, um, even the uh, power stations for uh, hybrid and electric cars. Again, had some uh, pretty interesting discussions with a few security professionals last year at Black Hat and DEF CON um, about what's the best way to secure these type of devices because they're connecting into cars. If they can connect into cars and get a hold of the CAN bus, they could turn that car into a bot. And now that bot is driving around attacking anything that the cyber threat actor actually has access to. So it's kind of threat modeling, but for cars. So again, it, I, I think those are some of the areas that, you know, within the next three to five years are going to emerge in my eyes. So how do you feel that yourself or cybersecurity or security professionals are really going to fit into that sector as comes up? Um, honestly, I think there's a real strong following in IoT and car hacking especially. Uh, the challenge is every year, a lot more people are turning out. There's a lot more enthusiasm around, you know, especially car hacking. Um, they're, they're trying to find everything and anything that's wrong because these devices, you know, if we have autonomous cars and we just drop in and somebody's controlling, getting us from point A to point B and it gets attacked and it ends up killing somebody, you know, it, God forbid, it, it, it's just, it, that that's a, a a risk that I don't think people are willing to accept. So trying to secure these cars and the technology put into them is, is kind of a high priority that I'm seeing in the security community. The other aspects, again, IoT is being embedded in everything from smart homes, wind turbines, to, you know, pretty much everything you can possibly think of. There, There's a good bit of IoT technology, but again, how secure is it? Could it be taken over? Could it leak sensitive data? Are we pushing sensitive data information through it? You know, smart TVs. What do they talk to? You know, could they be hacked? Do you, you know, store, transmit uh, sensitive information through your TV to, you know, a provider like Netflix or things of that nature? And we, we really got to think about this. So you've been in it and you're, you're living cybersecurity and security efforts at different systems and different companies. The threats are real. Do you have an example that you could talk about a little bit to delve into and just see how fragile the systems can potentially be if not structured? So I'll give, I'll give um, an example of an incident response that I ran a number of years ago. It was a week-long exercise. Um, there was a we detected a polymorphic malware um, that we found patient zero and we had to trace it through um, this organization. Uh, every time it touched a new system, it changed its stripes. So you couldn't really rely on AV signature-based detection or general malware controls to detect this. Um, it was more of looking at traffic signatures from the actual malware, uh, which ended up doing denial of service on internal web servers, but it had the same type of URL. Uh, that coupled with some technology that we were utilizing at the time, uh, we were able to gain access to where it was writing to. It was pretty predictable. So we wrote some rules and basically, you know, banned 
got access and got us alerted to it. Also, we looked at traffic. So it was more of a multi-pronged approach as a part of the incident response uh, to basically dampen the effect of a, a polymorphic malware that was making its rounds within this organization. And it took uh, at least two or three days to put down and to cut off any uh, command and control channel. So again, working with the team, you know, we were able to obtain samples, look at those samples in a malware sandbox, look at its characteristics of call-outs and things of that nature. But it took, you know, all the years of experience in doing incident response and malware analysis as a part of my job position in helping this company to, to really kind of help the incident response team, you know, put this down. Also, we obtained outside uh, support from another uh, agency to help, you know, put additional controls in place and blocking going forward. So that was a real world example of how threat actors attacked, you know, a vulnerable asset and then utilized, you know, their malware to kind of try to attack other systems. But again, you know, there was no data loss uh, in that realm that we could determine. Again, there was that, you know, we did do an, a, a hot wash afterwards or, you know, after action review uh, to review, you know, what did we determine? What did we learn? You know, how can we prevent this in the future? So again, it, it took incident response and forensics and, and just working with a dedicated teams and outside uh, teams to put down this type of attack. And I see that these type of attacks are only going to increase, uh, especially as we work from home where the controls that may have been there in your organization uh, may not be fully extended out to a home-based system or your work-based system running over a private network within your home where the security of that network may be suspect. That's fantastic. I don't think a lot of people realize how much detective and forensic effort goes into tracking that down. But at the end of that, because I know it's a, a mind game that you're playing at a high stress level, how do you de-stress? Um, I talked to uh, one of my uh, sponsors that uh, gives me career advice and, and I kind of went over in generality, you know, what my thoughts were during the, the time period. Also during the actual incident response, there was a, you know, an incident commander and we would switch off uh, the amount of time that we we're on. We were limited to 12 hours just to, there needs to be that unplug where when your 12 hours are done, you go home or you go to sleep and you you don't get back on your, you need to be fresh for the next day because if we're still working on this, you know, you've got to be laser focused and be on. And I think um, sometimes depending on the incident response team, depending on the number of people or the resources they can bring to bear, some small shops, it may be only a single person. And, and that, I don't know how one person could handle, you know, something large like that. It usually takes a team. So again, our blue teams, our purple teams, you know, those incident response people who are on the front line, they, you know, mental health awareness, um, self-care, uh, especially in very stressful times and running incident response uh, is definitely needed. So management within companies should recognize that and should have that built into their incident response plans that, you know, communication, you know, goes both up and down the chain. And also, there needs to be those breaks where that person can step out, you know, 
recharge, re-energize, get sleep, you know, without constantly thinking, 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 okay, what's the threat actor going to do next? Where do I need to go search the logs? You know, what other controls need to put in place? How do I know if that threat is truly eradicated in my environment and it just isn't sitting dormant and quiet and lurking, looking to spin up again when I take my eyes off of, you know, the, the threat. And, and that's, that's a common occurrence in just doing incident response in general. So before we end the, the show, for someone fresh starting out and just really delving into and looking at cybersecurity and or security and risk analysis of companies, what advice would you give them? I would say, you know, get with people in the industry who are doing the job that you are looking to step into and really just ask for maybe 30 minutes of their time just to ask general questions, you know, how did you get started in the industry? You know, what kind of skills and tool sets uh, did you utilize in your, in your current job? You know, even if it's some open source stuff to kind of self-learn, just, just to get, is this for me? Because if you do something that you love and you're passionate about, you never work a day in your life. Even though it may be stressful, um, it, it, it's just something that continues to feed your career progression and, and your trajectory. Uh, getting your foot into the door sometimes is a little bit more difficult, but again, also networking with people in, who are in jobs in Target and just having a natural affinity for learning. Even if you can pick up like an internship or things of that nature for three, six months of that nature, just to get your learning in pace, you know, and, and do a good job there, that could springboard you into getting hired on in that company and start you along your career. So that would be my uh, general advice for somebody new in the industry looking to break in. All right. Ed, I know most people don't even recognize the, how important your position is, but you're certainly in a very difficult sector of an IT and whether you know it or not, you're strongly appreciated by everyone out here that, that doesn't even realize what you do. So thank you for being on the show and taking time. And I, I truly appreciate everything, you, all the information you shared and all the knowledge you have centered around it. Thank you very much, Scott. Appreciate on being on. Thank you.